Amen. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Romans chapter 9? If you take your Bible and turn to Romans 9, or take your device and uh, find that, if you would, it's going to be important that you do have a copy of God's Word, especially for this first part that we're going to be part of. We're continuing our series in the book of Romans. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are uh, one section together talking about the past, the present, and the future of the nation of Israel. And you're going to get quite a bit more information about Israel today, and I'm trusting that it will give you a wonderful confidence in what God has for you to do as you walk as one of his followers. Now, if you have your Bible open, I want to ask you to take one of your hands, left or right, and put it on that Bible. If you have a device, you can put it right there, as long as that Bible app is open. Put it there, and I want you to touch that Bible. Because this book that you hold is filled with promises from an infinite God who has never yet failed to keep one of his promises. Of all the promises in God's word, he has always kept every one that he has made. And it's my prayer for you that as we look into God's word today, that you will have a confidence, a confidence that even when you're confused in your world, a confidence that even when things seem to be going in a different way than you would do it if you were in charge, that you have a confidence that we have a God that is good, a God that has all knowledge, he has all power, and a God who keeps his promises. I don't have very many hobbies or, uh, you know, things that I do on the side, but one thing that I would say is a hobby of mine is walking. I do enjoy walking. Sometimes I'll jog a little bit, um, and I usually have my earbuds in listening to some teaching or possibly some music when I'm walking. When I get to the end of my walking time, every once in a while, I have the opportunity to emulate somebody that probably you don't know who this famous person is, but I emulate someone who is called the Great Blondin. Anybody here know who the Great Blondin is? Anybody at all? All right. You might not know the name The Great Blondin, but you might figure out what he did when I tell you what I oftentimes do toward the end of my daily walk. When I get towards the end of my walk, I come to some streets, and there's some railroad tracks that pass through from this street to the other. They're not used railroad tracks, except for some businesses that rarely use them. And when I come to the end of my walk, I will come to those railroad tracks, and I will try to walk, it's between 150 and 200 feet, and I try to walk on one of those railroad tracks without falling. Now, I choose this place to walk because nobody can see me and what's going on. Because if you were to look at what was, what was going on, you would see all kinds of hands flying over the place, and, and you would wonder if I was going to fall. I did have somebody surprise me one time. He pulled right up next to where I was, and I was doing one of these numbers, trying not to fall off the tracks. I'm not bragging, but I've made it all the way that 150 feet or so without falling a number of times. Now, this person that I'm emulating, the great Blondin, does anybody here think you might know what he did many, many years ago? He was a famous tightrope walker. Let me tell you a story about the great Blondin in years ago. You see, crowds would come from all around to see famous tightrope walkers, and Blondin was one of the best. 
He had a huge crowd gathered at one point because he had stretched a rope going across a portion of Niagara Falls. And as he was going to defeat death by walking across this tightrope, the crowd couldn't wait. And he got the crowd really into it. Blondin would go and get up and he actually walked all the way across going over Niagara Falls without falling. And when he got to the other side, the crowd was there cheering, hooray! Do you think I can do it again? You can do it! And he crossed over the other way. He even would take some things and carry them as he was going along on the tightrope, risking his life even more. Do you think I can carry this? Hooray! You can do it! We believe in you! The crowd was... And then when Blondin went to one side and said, how many of you think that I can push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope over Niagara Falls? Hooray! We believe in you! Do you really believe? We believe! And then he said, okay, if you really believe, then I need one volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow while I push you across Niagara Falls. None of that crowd who was cheering and said they really believed it, volunteered to get in that wheelbarrow. It is my hope and prayer for you today that you will, as we look at Romans chapter 9, have a confidence that God can do anything, and we see that He can do anything because He's kept the promises of the past, and we understand that He will keep the promises that He's made for us on this very day. When we look in God's Word, it is so practical for us, and yet there are some sections that are more challenging. I, we've just finished up our series in Romans 8. How many of you enjoyed Romans 8? Anybody else enjoy Romans 8? Holy cow. It is a common chapter where famous theologians have said, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 8. Now, in more than 20 years of ministry, I have never known one person ever to say my favorite chapter in the Bible is Romans chapter 9. I've never known anybody that has said that. In fact, there are some verses in Romans chapter 9 that are very, very challenging for us. And even though they are challenging for us on this side of heaven, we have confidence that they are not challenging for our God. What we'll see in God's word today is that God has loved and God has beautifully used His chosen nation of Israel. And even though God has this special nation that we're going to look at, each one of them still had to come into the kingdom of God and gain eternal life through God's plan of election. Now, all that to bring us to Romans chapter 9, but I want to go ahead and ask you to turn over another page to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 has three verses that are going to help us with some of these challenging areas because they firm up, if you will, the confidence we can have in God. Look at verses 33 through 35 of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has, given, who, ha, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? 
Some things that I see in Romans 9 that I hope will be an encouragement to you. The first thing that I see are the blessings of God's chosen nation. We find that here. The blessings of God's chosen nation. And he lists some specific blessings in verses 4 and 5. But before we get to those specific blessings, I want to speak for a moment about the Apostle Paul's heart. It is my opinion that as Paul writes this, he's not writing these first three verses from a deep theological standpoint. But instead, I think it's fair to say that Paul writes these first three verses from an emotional place. If I can, Paul is letting us know before he gets into the bulk of this chapter where his heart is when it comes to the people of Israel. We'll be challenged in a little bit for how much of a heart we have for the lost. The Apostle Paul had such a heart for so many of the Jews who had rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He had such a heart for them that he was willing to give up his place in eternity with God and suffer eternal damnation if it meant by chance in some way that those Jews would accept Jesus as Messiah, the Jews as a whole, which as we'll see, most of them had rejected. Look at verses 1 through 3. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. You see, Paul loved the Jewish people. Perhaps some of you, if you're familiar with the story, the life story of the Apostle Paul, and when he was going to teach the gospel, maybe some of you can remember when he went into a new city to preach. Does anybody here remember where he went first? First, he went to the Jews, went to the synagogue that was in that city first, and he would preach the gospel to those people wanting, desiring, I think weeping for them to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah that each of them knew about from the Old Testament. And so often that did not happen. So he'd leave there and he would go and preach to the Gentiles. Just how special was this group? How special are the Israelites? Paul loved them. Paul was one that was persecuting the Christians on behalf of the Jews at the beginning, and then God knocked Paul off of his high horse, showed him his need for salvation, but he still loved those Jew, the Jewish people. And then we see some of the details. We're going to look at just a few of these in the next couple verses. In verses 4 and 5, we see many of the advantages to Israel. He lists some of them, and some of these are going to be very important for the Jews themselves, but some of these should be very, very special to you and I today. It says in verse 4, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption. This says that Israel was God's adopted nation. And we can say that no other nation in the history of the world has been called God's special treasure. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God speaks and says, I have chosen you to be my nation. 
And so Israel was special because they experienced the adoption. Next, it says they were special because to them belonged the glory. Referring to Israel, how they had seen God's glory, this is talking about what we call the Shekinah glory, a visible manifestation of God. Oftentimes, when we think of God appearing to the, uh, the Hebrew children, we go out to when they had been delivered from slavery, and by day, when they were in the wilderness, they were led by that cloud, and by night, they were met, led by a pillar of fire. Do you remember that? This is the glory that Paul is talking about here. And then it says the covenants. They have been blessed to experience the covenants. And as we study God's word, we understand that God made a covenant with Abraham for the land. God made a covenant with Moses for the people. And then God made a covenant with David for the Messiah. The Jewish people truly were a blessed people. Then it goes on to say the giving of the law, the worship, talking about temple service there, and the promises. And then look what it says next. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The Israelites truly were a blessed people, and you and I should be grateful for them today. Because it was through the vehicle of the nation of Israel that you and I today have the blessing of the Scriptures. At least 64 out of the 66 books in our Bible were given to us by the Jewish people. Also, we should be thankful for this people group because this is the group that brought us monotheism. Monotheism, mono, one, theism, God. And some might think that this was only a problem that existed a long time ago, that there were many gods that were looked at. But let me ask this question and see if some of you have experienced this. Has anybody here been driving on the road and you're behind a car and there's a bumper sticker, the ones that I've seen are dark blue, and it says the word coexist right on. Anybody here see one of those bumper stickers that say coexist? All right, a number of you. They have the cross of Jesus Christ right on that bumper sticker, don't they? And yet, there is a message that is coming through that Christ has to stand side by side with other gods. In John 14, 6, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This does not mean that we grow with pride. does not mean that we are snobs. But it does mean that we obey the first commandment, have no other gods before me. And we also don't fall for what the devil said to Eve so long ago. You can't be over God, but you can be like God. Don't fall for that trick. The Jewish people were so blessed, and we are blessed, to get the scriptures, to get monotheism, and also, of course, most wonderfully, we have received through the Jewish people, the Messiah, the Messiah, and all God's people said, amen. Jesus Christ was a Jew, and beautifully, we benefit from God becoming man through the Jewish people. Look at verse number six. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. That's a good theme verse 
for what we talked about earlier. God keeps his promises. It is not as though God's word, the word of God has failed. And then it says this, fear for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And what he's going to do now over the next several verses, the bulk of chapter 9, is the Apostle Paul is going to give illustrations. He's going to walk through some Old Testament stories, some Old Testament illustrations that say about, that tell us about some people that were called by God to be his chosen people and some other Jewish people who were not called by God. That's very interesting. When we look at the Jewish people, we understand that they got into the group of God's people, God's children, the same way that you and I get that way by being elected into that group. And I love stories. Do you guys like Old Testament stories? I love them. Sometimes I'll read through some of the Old Testament stories and my heart will beat faster, even though I know how it's going to end. Some of those stories are so colorful and we learn so much about our God in those. Look at the first story in verses seven through nine. He talks about Ishmael and Isaac. Of course, these are Abraham's sons. For those of you who are familiar with this story in the book of Genesis, you understand that the older of those two is Ishmael. And for God to use not the oldest is breaking with the tradition of that day. And it was not understood by mankind, and it wasn't understood by Abraham either. Let's look at these two characters for a little bit. Some of you can remember the familiar story. Abraham was promised that I'm going to bless the whole world through you, through your offspring. And then Abraham gets older and older and older and no offspring yet. Well, Sarah, Abraham's wife, knew this promise. And Sarah and Abraham decide together that they're going to they're gonna help God out with this promise a little bit. We're sure God's going to keep his promise, but maybe he needs us to give some help. And so Sarah had a handmaid, and her name was Hagar. He says, go into Hagar, and I will, you will have offspring through her. And that's how we'll do this. And Hagar was Ishmael's mother. Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn. Now, I'm pointing this out with some detail because I want you to understand the reaction when God told Abraham, Ishmael's not my guy through whom I'm going to bless the world. Abraham, one of our wonderful heroes of the Old Testament, responded in a way that's a little bit unique. You see, in Genesis 17, God let Abraham know, again, I'm going to bless the world through you and your seed, and he gave the detail, it's going to come through Sarah. Sarah is going to be the one through whom you're going to have this son. Abraham doesn't respond in the way that we think a mature Christian should respond. Let me read for you Genesis 17, 17. It says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And listen to what verse 18 says. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Looks like Abraham could use a little, use a little talk on the promises of God, doesn't it? 
God just said to him in a miraculous way, my covenant is going to be through you and through Sarah. And he says, oh no, God, Ishmael, take this one, use him. This is the right way. And God breaks with tradition. And God shows us that even of the descendants of Abraham, not everyone would be called. Look at the next illustration in verses 10 through 13. Here we find Esau and Jacob. And when we come through, when we come to verses 10 through 13 of Romans 9, there's a troubling verse here, isn't there? You guys, when we talk about Romans chapter 9, this is one of the verses that stands out and it makes many of us scratch our heads. And just to go back to what we're talking about today, we need to have confidence that God keeps his promises. Verse 13 is that troubling verse, Jacob, I have loved, Esau, I have hated. Now, what is, what is Paul talking about here? Jacob, have I loved, Esau, have I hated, God says. Well, you might see if you have a Bible that um, has um, maybe a different kind of font, maybe italicized for a quote from the Old Testament, you'll find it there. In fact, if you have a cross-reference Bible, you might find a little reference next to that verse, and it's going to point you back to the Old Testament, to the book of Malachi. Because before we find this in Romans chapter 9, we find in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the words, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. But hold on. That was not written during the lifetime of Jacob and Esau. So, so, so what's happening here? What's going on? That book of Malachi was written a thousand years after Jacob and Esau had both died. And so what it is speaking about is their bloodline. It is talking about their descendants. So it wasn't that God had a real problem with Esau. And, and just to be clear, when we think of Jacob being the chosen one, if you've not studied the life of Jacob, he was not chosen on the merit of his life. God did not choose Jacob because he was such an upstanding guy. Had to do a baby dedication years ago, and the baby's name was Jacob. And so I looked up what the name meant to share with the whole group. You know what I found? You know what Jacob means there, the Bible definition? It means deceiver. Deceiver. Jacob was not chosen because of his character. He was elected because of God's mercy. And when it says there, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, it's talking about the bloodline. Prominently, it's talking about the family that would be used to bring us those blessings that we saw a little bit ago. The blessings of the scriptures, the blessings of monotheism, the blessings of the Messiah. They would come through Jacob's line. Jacob was the father of Israel. Esau was the father of Edom. There was a student in seminary many years ago, and he was just struggling, struggling with this verse. And he went to his professor, like a good student would, and he just said, I am really struggling with Romans chapter 9, verse 13. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And I love the professor's response because he said, you know what? I really struggle with that verse too, but I don't struggle with it for the same reason that you do. I struggle with why in the world God would love Jacob. And that's an appropriate way for us to look at it. None of us deserves the love of God. It is only by His mercy, His love, 
and his grace that we receive that. The same went for Jacob. And then let's look at one more illustration, one more example. Very, very colorful and very, very familiar because next we find the illustration of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is listed here, and we're not going to read through all of this. I will read through some of these tough verses, but let me set this up a little bit for us. Because when we look at Pharaoh, we understand that he was the leader that was in charge when the Hebrews were in slavery. Two to three million Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And can you remember that back and forth between Moses and Pharaoh? Moses would come and say, God has said, let my people go. And then we find in the book of Exodus 20 times that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And because his heart was hardened, he would not let them go until, of course, after the last plague when he had no choice. Here's what's so interesting about those 20 times when Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And also it should help us with this very difficult issue of election. This issue of God predetermining man who will be his children, but also God requiring that we choose him. How do we make that fit together? Back to Pharaoh. 20 times his heart was hardened. And if you go through and you count, you will find that 10 of those 20 times, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and said no. And the other 10 times in the record in Exodus, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, which is it? Well, it's both. And it's challenging to understand, as is Romans chapter 9 in this issue of election. Tough issue. How can God predetermine you and then require you to make a choice? Look at verse 18 of Romans 9. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? All right, let me bring this way down to earth. It's likely that some of you, when you were growing up, had some maybe bad feelings towards a decision that your mom or your dad made. And as you were facing something and a decision they were making that you thought was not fair, you wanted an explanation. And it's likely that most of you as children heard a certain response. It's likely that many of you, if not all of you as parents, have used a certain response. Because there are times when a parent talking to a child who has limited knowledge and limited experience and limited understanding, there are some times when the parent has to give the response to the child that he doesn't think is right or fair. Sometimes when the child says, why is this this way? Why do I have to do this? What is that common response that so many of you have used? You will say, because I said so. How many of you think the kid enjoys hearing because I said so? You may not have time to explain it, 
They may not have the capacity to understand what's going on. If there is a person who wants to point his finger at God and accuse God of being unfair, I am going to say that he is going to need one thing before he does that. Now, one thing that you're going to have to have if you want to do that is you need to have all knowledge. You have to have omniscience. If you want to judge God for what he's doing or what he's not doing, call God right, call God wrong, you have to have all knowledge in order to do so. And brothers and sisters, there are just some things we're not going to understand. And that's okay. Because what we can understand is that we have a God who has given us a perfect book and he's never broken one promise. I know it's not very satisfying of an answer. It's not to your kids either when you tell it to them. When we look at this idea of election, we know that all people are elected the same way. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's how we come to the Lord today. I think a good picture of salvation is the picture of a rope being thrown to a drowning man. If someone is there and they're drowning and someone throws them a rope, they can't just look at that rope and, and be glad and say, oh, look, a rope, hope it saves me. Blub, 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 go down. That's not going to do it. They have to reach out, take that rope, let the person pull them to safety. We look at our God and we should rejoice that he has thrown us this wonderful opportunity for salvation. And then he gives illustrations in 25 through 29 of Hosea and Isaiah. You can read those on your own. It is obvious as we study God's word, it's obvious from Old Testament history that God never intended for every Jew to believe. It's clear. God saved them the same way he saves us. And then in verses 30 through 33, we find good news and bad news about God's election. In verse number 30, it's good news for the Gentiles. Because even though the Gentiles weren't seeking after righteousness, we're able to obtain righteousness by putting faith in Jesus Christ. We obtain that wonderful place of being accepted by God being seen as righteous by when we put our faith in Christ, even when we weren't seeking it. And then verse 31 is bad news for the Jews who will not seek it in that way. Because the Jews are busy seeking after righteousness and the mode through which they want to get righteousness is through the law. And the law will not save them. And because of that, they will have missed it. All right, what can we do with all of this? A few different applications for us. First of all, I think what we can do is instead of rejecting God's plan of election, instead of getting bogged down in arguing about it, rejoice if you are one that has been chosen. I can't fully understand it, but I know that I am one who's been called by God. I stand today redeemed and I am seen as forgiven in the eyes of God and I am on my way to heaven. Don't reject it. Rejoice if you're one that has been chosen. And then next, carry a love for Israel because of how God used them in the past 
and also, as we'll see in chapter 11, how God is going to use them in the future. But carry a love for God's chosen people. It is certainly not true that the church has replaced Israel. It certainly is not true that America has replaced Israel. God's chosen people, the only people that have ever been called his treasure, God has used them and God will use them again. And in the meantime, there's always a remnant we see in Romans. And then last, I want to take us back to those first three verses in Romans. You need to carry a burden for lost souls in your heart. I suspect that if some of you have someone close that's not a follower of Christ, I suspect that you've prayed for them. I would strongly think that many of you have shed a tear for them. But how many have such a burden that you would say to God, if it were possible for that one, my son, my cousin, my neighbor, if it were possible for them to have eternal life, I would suffer separation forever. That's what Paul said. We need to share the burden that Paul had for those who don't know Jesus Christ. How are you doing with the confidence that you have in God's Word? Years ago, before uh, America was settled and people were exploring and going through different places, there was a gentleman that was coming up to the Mississippi River in the wintertime. He wanted to cross that river, but he knew that if he went through that ice, he would be a goner. And so up to the Mississippi River, and as he was going to cross, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll get down on all fours and distribute my weight evenly, and I'll crawl and creep along until I get across the river to safety. And as he was down on all fours crossing the Mississippi River, he felt something shaking. And then he heard a noise. The noise was coming from behind him. And so he turned to look, and here's what that man on all fours saw. He saw a wagon drawn by horses, and there was a driver, and that wagon was coming up, and the driver didn't have a care in the world, driving that wagon over the Mississippi River so confident that he would not break through the ice, that there was no danger. And the man on all fours learned a lesson that day. And I wonder for you, which one are you? are you? Are you creeping on the promises of God? I don't quite understand them. Hopefully I will someday. Or are you riding along with confidence in this journey? And even if there's some answers you don't have or some questions you don't have the answers to, and even if you're challenged to know why God does some of the things that he does, are you walking with confidence? Brothers and sisters, this book is filled with promises that have been given to us by an infinite God who has never failed to keep his promise. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when we look at you in your word, we thank you for so many places where we can come and claim something that you have given to us. Heavenly Father, 
promises that will stand out like I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some promises like let him who needs wisdom ask of God and he will answer. We thank you for these. We thank you that we can have confidence. And even on some of the ones that we're unclear on, that would cause confusion, that would give opportunity for the devil to maybe sow some confusion or some discord. We thank you that your promises are true. Help us to walk with a confidence in them on this day. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I want to give you a chance to pray after our time in God's word today. A couple topics that I'll suggest. First of all, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus was the Messiah for the Jews and also for the Gentiles. Every one of us is born a sinner. Because of that sin, we're headed towards a separation from God forever. But God loved us so much that he gave his son to die on a cross. He died and he rose from the grave. And if you will just ask him to forgive you of your sins, it's based on the fact that he took your punishment. You can pray right now and say, God, please forgive me and make me your child. Maybe you're here today and you're not walking with the confidence like a, a follower of God should. You're not walking along your journey, believing God, trusting God, and knowing that he will never fail. If there's an area of doubt in your life that God needs to help you with, take a moment to pray about that right now.